Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I was literally just messaging you to say I couldn't see you, and then I saw you. So it just took some time to come through. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. I want to make sure the sound is as loud as it can be. I think it's good enough. Can you just say, like, hello, my name is, and where, where are you? Hi, my name is Renee Van Medin. I'm coming to you from Dublin. Yeah, I think that's that okay? I think that sounds yeah. nice. Yeah. Um. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Um, I, I've no idea who you are. We've never met before. <laughs> We've never like this is. Uh, but I. But that's there's something I like about that. I like doing on this podcast is just chatting to people, seeing where they're coming from, finding out about their life. And uh, thank you for your email uh, when you got in touch initially. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself, a bit of your back. Okay, and and you just let me know if the sound cuts out at all because my internet can be a bit of an asshole um, <laughs> sometimes. Okay. So just let me know if it's dropping out at all and if I need to move. Um, it's the Keith Walsh podcast. It's essential, like your breakfast. It will get you up and going. Learn some things you didn't know. Yeah, it's the Keith Walsh podcast. It's the Keith Walsh podcast. Give you energy like buck fast. And if your head's in a pickle or you're looking for a giggle, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast, yeah. Hello, good evening. How are you? Good. Are you sure? Yes? Great. Um, yeah, just in case you were wondering, it is the Keith Walsh Podcast. You're very welcome. It is Thursday evening. It's the 18th of February. Valentine's Day is long forgotten. Oh yeah, back to, back to boring old non-Valentine's days. Actually, yesterday was Ash Wednesday, wasn't it? Totally forgot. Forgot to get me drive through Ash Wednesday. They should have had that at McDonald's. I'll have the nuggets, the large Coke, um, a filet of fish, the apple pie, and a cross made out of ash on my forehead, please. Thank you. That'll be f- Fourteen sixty, please pay at the next window. Your order number is six six six. And then when you got to the next hatch, it was the devil, and he burned across into your forehead, but it was upside down. Okay, yeah, that was a weird flight of fancy. Um, so that meant the day before was Pancake Tuesday. Did you eat lots of pancakes on Pancake Tuesday? We have pancakes every day in our house. I think that's. I feel like that's the norm now, isn't it? For um, anybody that had, has had kids in the last kind of 20 years, pancakes are a, a breakfast item now. We're so American. Those yanks. Um, I think so. 
Is that not a thing? I don't think there's people saying, oh, we only have pancakes on Pancake Tuesday. But I think the thing about Pancake Tuesday now is that you have pancakes for every meal. And if you want for your dinner, you can just have pancakes and chocolate spread. That's the that's the deal. Um, so look, now you know where we're at. It's the day after Ash Wednesday, which is the day after St. Patrick's Day. St. Pancakes Day. <laughs> St. Patrick's. I actually wanted to say St. Pancake's Day. Um, just in case you're listening to this in, you know, 2022 or something, you don't know what's going on, you don't know where I'm at. There you are, you're caught up. Uh, any new listeners, you're very welcome along. Thank you very much, and you're very welcome to subscribe to the podcast, please. Uh, you can email the show as well. I call it the show, even though it's not a show, it's a podcast, but you can email the podcast. It's keithwalshpod at gmail.com Um... I got an email from Podrick Reedy. Hello, Podrick Reedy. Down in the kingdom. Hey, Keith. Never sent any messages to a radio show or a podcast in my life. But just wanted to say I really enjoy your podcast. Always putting it on going for a run in the morning or outside doing some housework on a Saturday. Love listening to your chats with Mike and the relaxed nature of the show as you just say it, as you see it. I try, Podrick. I try. Uh, like your own family, we were all working from home here. My wife, two sons who are four and six years you have your hands full, lads. Uh, anyway, just want to say, keep up the good work. I look forward to uh, the new episodes coming out every Monday and Thursday. Big fan and an original listener, OG. He's an OG. From the very first episode with the Flemings. That was a good one. That was my first one, the Flemings. I remember threatening Ty Fleming that if he didn't do it, that if I t- if he didn't come up, be, he wouldn't, if, he, if he didn't agree to be a, po- a guest on my podcast, I wouldn't start a podcast. He must have been like... Um, I don't care if you don't start a podcast, dude. Anyway, he agreed to come on. That was it. So I was I was holding out until it was himself and his dad came on. I was holding out until they came on. And that's from Podrick and Kerry down in the kingdom. Nice from Podrick. Thank you very much for your correspondence. I enjoyed it very much. And thanks for listening as well. Um, and Sinead says, uh, I heard it. Wink, wink. If you know, you know. Sinead. Thank you very much. And she said it made me jump. Um, And hi to Liz as well. Uh, Liz, I might leave your uh, email and read it out for... I'll be doing an episode on Saturday with Mike and we'll read it out. I'll read it out then. But thank you very much, Liz. Uh, From Dave. Hi, Keith. Really enjoyed the latest podcast. I'm an OG listener. Original. I uh, met you briefly at the Playing Fields Festival in Clan a couple of years ago, but after all the podcasts, I feel like we could chat for hours. We probably could, Dave. I would literally love to chat to anybody for hours. That's why I do the podcast, because I get to talk to other people. And he's uh, suggested some guests. Uh, Willie White. Ah, Willa. Actually, Willa White would be good. He'd do it, wouldn't he? He's a good guy. He's, I kind of know Willa, kind of. Um, comedian Willa White uh, Johnny Doyle of Dermot Early two legends two absolute legends good shouts let me try and get Johnny or Dermot Dermot was on Lake Regal TG Card the other night was brilliant and maybe he would do it I do have his number and Graham Hopkins yeah drummer singer also from Clan I think I have Graham's number he was with uh, The Frames was he with Therapy for a while I think he might have been with therapy for a while. Yeah, I'd love to talk to Graham about some stuff. That's uh, There's some really good suggestions. Thank you very much, Dave. Thank you very much for listening. And that is it from Email Corner. 
step back into the main podcast as well. Oh, to Brian as well. Brian Barnes, old schoolmate. I, sorry, Brian, I haven't got back to you, but I will. I will email you back. Thank you very much for the email. Um, as we step away from email corner and back to the main body of the podcast. Now, yeah, so if you're a new listener, you're very welcome. Please do subscribe, tell your friends, and uh, I'll have more of that after the chat, the podcast chat, which is about to happen now as I introduce it. I got an email from a young lady called Renee. I don't know if this people... Um, if lady is a bad thing to call people anymore, or woman, or girl, or... Anyway, uh, it doesn't really matter. Her name is Renee. And uh, she sent me an email, and she said uh, she introduced herself. Uh, my name is Renee. I am a writer and same-sex parenting and lifestyle blogger from Dublin. So she has a blog, which is about same-sex parenting and uh, and lifestyle. Uh, I think in her blog she writes about parenting and holidays and how to manage different bits and pieces around being uh, being in a same-sex relationship and, and being parents. Myself and my wife Audrey uh, have two daughters. Ava is four and her sister's Ari and her sister Aria is two. She does say in the introduction bit where she introduced herself that Aria is uh, an actual terrorist. She's not or is a terrorist. She's not an actual terrorist. She's like, um, I mean, she's not she's, you know, she's not an actual terrorist. Um, I'm also an activist and the CEO of Equality for Children, a campaign for equality for children of LGBT plus parents in Ireland. I'm not sure how much you are aware of when it comes to rights for gay families here in Ireland. And she gives me a quick overview. Um, Let me just, I'll give you, I'll I'll read out this actually because this could be helpful. As it stands, I am considered, so herself and Audrey, uh, and Audrey is her wife, and she is the biological... Yeah, I'll just read this out, actually. As it stands, I'm considered a single parent to our daughters. My wife, who is their biological mother, is considered a legal stranger to our kids because she did not physically give birth to them. To them. I did. Our kids, along with countless others in Ireland, are denied the rights to have a legal connection with both of their parents simply due to their parents being LGBTQ+. Most people are horrified when they hear this and often do not realise how far behind the times Ireland is when it comes to equality for LGBTQ plus families. So it's anyway, she got in touch with me and I said, oh, that sounds interesting. She was looking for a bit of support. And I said, listen, are you a talker? Any good? Could you come on the podcast? Tell people about your story. I think it's really interesting. And I think people will be very interested to hear it. So, yeah. So she said, yeah. And uh, she was a very good talker. And we had a great chat. Um, we talked about everything uh, from same-sex parenting to uh, the marriage referendum even down to she probably spoke I know I saw a recent an Instagram post where she she posted after the chat and she kind of said that she maybe talked about more than she expected to or thought she would we got a little into you know family um, her upbringing and how that affected her uh, her life and uh, her decision to marry a woman and all that kind of stuff so uh yeah it was very interesting and it was great it was a great open chat and i think i learned a lot from it and i think you will too um so that's it uh as always if you have any thoughts on the episode and what we're talking about the subject do get in touch it's keithwatchpod at gmail.com i'd love to hear from you it is 
the Keith Watch podcast. It's episode 69, and this is Rene von Medding. I hope I pronounced her surname right. I don't think she actually ever said that to me. I hope it's right. Rene, if you're listening to this, I hope it's right. And thank you very much. Enjoy. Yeah, my name is Rene. I live in Dublin with my wife, Audrey, and our two kids. We have two daughters, a four-year-old, Ava, and a two-year-old terrorist called Aria. Um, they are, yeah, they're keeping us busy through this lockdown. Um, I'm originally from Chicago, but we moved to Ireland when I was four. So I have dual nationality, which can be handy sometimes and a pain um, other times. And yeah, I grew up in, I grew up in Dublin in the, you know, South County Dublin and then I went through, um, I trained as an actress and that's where I met Audrey um, in acting college. And then she actually went into the stage management side of things. So she's a stage manager. Where did you um, try, where did you train? Uh, uh, Bull Alley Theatre Training College. It's Very in good. the Liberties. So that's where we ended up living. Um, we're right beside the Guinness factory and we've been here for, what 12 years now so it's funny sometimes I go down the road and people think I'm you know a blow-in American tourist and I'm like no I've lived here for most of my life um I um no, I studied great, acting great I studied acting in Inchicore for, for two years there's oh awesome did you like it yeah, I, uh, I, it's my famous story that I tell people is after I finished college, I went for three auditions and didn't get a job, so I gave up. Hair. <laughs> um, which wasn't great. I think we have a little bit of a delay, so, but I think it's manageable. Um, okay, so, so you're, did you pursue acting? What, what, tell me what happened after college. Uh, it's a bit of a convoluted story. I suppose I did and I didn't. I mean, I did in like I was I was auditioning constantly. I was getting bits of work here and there, you know, some voiceover work, that sort of thing. And a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of kind of unpaid profit share type work, just really trying to graft my way in uh, bits of good work now and again. Um, but I suppose my 20s were slightly overshadowed in that I um, have suffered with an eating disorder for, you know, most of my life, most of my adult life anyways. And so a lot of my 20s, I was in a very um, unwell place of, you know, really, really bad mental health. Um, so I suppose I never, I don't think I quite um, advanced in the way that I would have had I not been suffering that way, you know? Um, and at the point when I actually recognized there was a very severe problem and I needed to get help, um, I was 20, 26 roughly when I, when I started seeking help and started going to therapy and uh, receiving outpatient um, treatment. And by the time I kind of was in a really good place of mental health, that's when we kind of started talking about kids and wanting to start our family anyways. Um, so we decided that I would really take a step back from the acting side of things because it's, it's really not, um, 
it's it, I don't think it's really practical to have two parents working in the arts um you know especially if you're trying to be on an actual job and you know out late at night and stuff so we decided that I would be the one really to stay at home if we were lucky enough to have kids and Audrey would continue uh, doing what she was doing kind of working between the abbey and the gate and um, yeah, so I kind of took a step back from that whole whole world and got more into writing. I wrote my first play and then I started writing uh, for different publications, different magazines, different websites and uh, started my own blog. And kind of that's where I've landed and I've done bits and pieces of performance work and I do really miss it. And I hope that um, one day I'll be able to get back to it because I don't think that ever kind of leaves you if it's in your blood. How is Audrey coping with the lockdown and the, the theatres being closed? She's finding it very hard. I mean, she's loving being home with our family because she's never had this much time with them. Like since the kids were born, I've been with them 24-7 and Audrey is here when she can be. And we've had, you know, we've been able to take little trips in between shows. But once she's on a show, it's just all go. You know, there'd be there'd be weeks where she'd be working like 70, 80 hours a week, just crazy hours. Um, and, you know, so it's it's been nice for her to be home. Um, but she definitely misses it. And it's it's, you know, worrying to think when actually live theatre will be happening again. Um, as we know it, you know, so we we just have to wait and see what's what's going to happen in, in that industry. Are you OK? Are you are you coping? Are you struggling as a family? Is everything OK? Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of say in some ways the pandemic has been like the best thing for us. I think it forced us to stop because we were just on this like wheel of just going and going and going and going and so much we were just missing so much of the ordinary everyday stuff. So it, it just forced us to stop everything and it forced us to all be together. And um, I think in ways it's it's been the best thing for us and us as a couple as well. I think it's it's forced us to kind of confront a lot of things that we were just kind of pretending weren't happening, you know? Um, so I think it's actually been really good for us. But then obviously it's been, um, very difficult like me personally you know the lack of control and not knowing what's going to happen and not being able to plan things out and not being able to rely on the structure and routine that I was so used to um, obviously that that can be very triggering for someone who you know is suffering from an eating disorder and while I am in a really good place it's definitely been something that I have to work at for sure. Okay, uh, I'm I'm glad that you're well. But yeah, it's it's interesting because I find like myself, and my wife are both working, trying to trying to build up our own sort of little businesses and and create our own work, and we're we're self employed, and so financially, it's we've a little bit less coming in, mm. but it doesn't matter. It's actually it, it, the money doesn't seem to you know I mean everybody's just suddenly realizing that money doesn't buy you happiness you know all at the same time which is which is great and uh, you, you know yeah. when you're when you're with your when you're with the people you love you don't actually need much money so um it's yeah. it, it, it has been a blessing in a lot of ways dreadful for a lot of people but 
you know, a blessing in, in some ways for some people. We have to look at both sides of it. So t- tell me about then when you started, when yourself and your wife, when did you get married, by the way? We got married in 2016 in March. So it's coming up to our um, five, five year anniversary. How old are the kids? Um, I, I yes. Yep. Ava was conceived out of wedlock. Shocking. Um, she, I was, I was five months pregnant when a, when uh, we got married. Yeah. Ava was, um, actually we had to change my wedding dress three times because I just, I was kind of like, Oh no, I won't be showing by five months. No, be grand. I'll just get, you know, something cut under the bus, but literally the dresses I picked every time we kept going back to the dressmaker, she was like, I'm sorry, this is just not going to work. Um, but I actually didn't care. I just, you know, I was just so excited to be pregnant. And I was like, I actually don't care. I think I was the most chilled out bride that you'd ever see, which is so unlike me. Everyone expected me to be completely controlling and just, you know, wanting everything to be perfect. But I actually was like, no, it's fine. That's not working. That's fine. Oh, we're not going to be able to do that. That's fine. I was like, doesn't matter. I, I can just imagine many many bishops and archbishops and parish priests in Ireland in the ground in their graves spinning at the thought of two women getting <laughs> married and one of them is pregnant before the oh my god <laughs> the, the amount Shocking. of the amount of old Irish rules you're breaking here um I know it's a wonderful wonderful image it's a, it's a great image of modern Ireland <laughs> so thank you um Okay. Okay. So that's that. <laughs> that's that. Just in case, <laughs> in case my local bishop comes, gets on to me, I can explain to him what happened. <laughs> um, but so obviously the so the getting pregnant thing w- was the first consideration. So that and then the getting married thing was sort of a, an afterthought. My my daughter was two when when we got got married. So we marriage hadn't really been a thing for us. Um, uh, I'm married to a woman. Um, she, but we we hadn't really thought about getting married. But then I think when we had Anna, we thought well maybe maybe it might be nice for her. And you know I suppose because it's easier with with the law and taxes and all that yeah. kind of stuff, it just makes things a lot simpler, which we can get onto. Um, so the 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 first your first consideration was to have a child. Then really was it? Or, well, I, I, like- I don't even know. I don't even know how this works. You're gonna have to explain the machinations of. Sure. Well. First of all, like when we like pretty much like the moment we started dating or going out, we knew we would have kids at some point. We both are mad about kids like we would have, you know, 10 of them if we could. Like we love kids and we always knew we were going to have kids, but we didn't always know we were going to get married because when we started going out, we were living in an Ireland that that wasn't a possibility for us. So we kind of always kind of downplayed the idea of getting married and we're like oh it's not a big deal and you know there's no way we're going to go to another country to get married like we can't get married here in our own home we're not going to do it and then it was when we were starting to talk about kids that we knew there was going to be a marriage referendum and and for, for the first time we were like oh maybe it is possible maybe it's possible to have have it all we can get married we can have a kid we can you know, live like any other couple. Um, so that was the point that we were like, okay, no, we definitely want to do this. And originally we planned to get married first and then start IVF. But just with the way 
Um, it passed in 2015 in May, but then it didn't actually come into effect until the end of that year. We thought it would kind of be in right away, but it just was taking time. It had to actually be signed in by the president and all of this kind of just a bit of a holdup. And we were just really excited to start trying. And we were like, you know what, let's let's just try IVF first because we don't know if it's even going to work right away. This might be a long process. Let's just try IVF. We're going to get married in March and let's just start. So we started in September and by November I was pregnant. And we actually didn't do treatment in Ireland because when we went to one of the fertility clinics in Dublin and we asked about um, IVF, they actually couldn't provide us what we wanted. So what we wanted to do was use Audrey's eggs and for me to carry the babies, which is called reciprocal IVF. And we went and they were like, look, we're really sorry. This is really simple to do. And it makes a lot of sense when you have two women, you know, to do it that way. One is the biological parent, the other is the birth parent, but we don't have a license. So if that's really the path you want to take, you're going to have to either go to the UK or Spain or somewhere else, but we can't do it here. Wow. So we ended up, yeah. Yeah. So we ended up going to Barcelona and we just had a month long holiday. We didn't tell anyone what we were doing. We just said we were taking a month off because of just the craziness of life and going to spend a month in Barcelona we so we spent obviously it was a hell of a lot cheaper to do treatment in Spain so we just spent the extra money that we had saved you know renting a really nice villa on the beach near Sitges and you know we just cooked for ourselves every day we're both mad about cooking um Audrey would do her workouts she she's like into workouts and stuff I would just read or write or go for walks just kind of explore and it was gorgeous it was such a lovely way uh, to make a baby. And we were really lucky that the first cycle of reciprocal IVF, we were, we got seven embryos and I had an embryo transfer, which then sadly resulted in just a really early miscarriage, but we still had a lot of embryos. So I actually then went back over to Barcelona in November because you have to wait a little bit between the you know the transfers and stuff so by the time I was ready to go back it was November Audrey was working again so I had to go by myself I didn't tell anyone again went one night to Barcelona had the embryo transfer on the Friday morning flew home on a dinner time Ryanair flight and the following week did a pregnancy test and I was pregnant wow I mean, just the, that, you know, just thinking about that, that month in Barcelona where like your intention is to have a baby. I mean, that must have been like, you know, just, I mean, you'll always have that month. You'll always have that time. And even I'd imagine, I'd imagine that must have been a lovely, a lovely, a lovely period of time for you guys. Just, just to know that that's why you were there. And, yeah. uh, you know, for a lot of people, it's, you know, I don't want to, <laughs> be crude about it but it's wham bam thank you ma'am and then you know a few weeks later you find out that you're pregnant and you know but yeah but to, but to do it with that that amount of intention and to to know that that's what you're there for and and just to be doing it sort of privately as well must have been yeah and, you know just yeah it was it was it was very special and we always look back on that time as just a really special time it was it was really beautiful yeah 
I mean, it's great to see uh, two people um, being so just, uh, I suppose I'm just I'm trying to think of another word for intention, <laughs> but just but just really wanting to have a child and really like all that love towards yeah. like you're just saying we have all this a lot of the time it happens it can happen by accident or it does you know the people aren't sure or, you know you just kind of get into a situation and then you have to kind of but this is like it's just great to, to, to see it you know um and you'll always kind of have that story to tell your your children and each other and remind each other and like it's a great basis for a relationship really yeah. you know uh, yeah. a great basis for a family you know it's a good solid foundation you know um yeah. it's a beautiful thing um so then so now you're in a situation where you have two girls we have two girls yeah so we then to have aria it was a bit of a another kind of <laughs> journey to get there when we were when we decided we were ready to have a second baby you know but we were still completely madly sleep deprived. But but Ava had turned about one and we were like, okay, let's start thinking about this again. And we went back to the same clinic in Barcelona and tried um, to have another baby and it just didn't happen there. And we were kind of becoming a bit disillusioned with the clinic there. Um, the, you know, the, the language barrier was really getting to us. Um, we had no outside support you know, we were just kind of shooting in the dark. We had no idea what we were doing and it just, it just wasn't happening. And we decided to kind of take a step back. We got to the point where we had no embryos left and we said, look, we're going to have to do a whole other cycle of, of this from scratch basically. And we decided to just kind of have a fresh start. We still weren't allowed to do it in Ireland. This was 2018. And we said, let's look at the other clinics in Europe that we could possibly go to. And I emailed, I you know, loads of clinics, like every clinic in Europe, basically I emailed. And one of them kind of just stuck, stuck out as, it. I just got a good feeling about it. And it was a clinic in Portugal in a little place called Quimbra, just down from Faro. And they had one of like their, one of their, you know, top doctors was really well recognized throughout Portugal and just got a really good feeling about them. So we had a, a Zoom call with them, had a really good chat with them and we decided to go there. And so we went again for a month, but this time we went with a one and a half year old Ava and it was an entirely different experience, let me tell you. It was not at all relaxing, but it was still, you know, special because that's how we made Ava's baby sister. And we were really lucky it worked first time around. We got seven embryos again. I had the transfer and before we came back to Ireland, I took a, an early pregnancy test. Even though you're not supposed to, you're supposed to wait for two weeks, but um, I did anyways and it was funny I did it didn't really register with me that the pregnancy test would be in Portuguese so I took the pregnancy test and Gravida came up on it and I completely freaked out I was like what does Gravida mean and we had to we had to google it and that it means pregnant mm -hmm. um, so yeah found out we were pregnant before we came home and yeah, absolutely thrilled. So we we actually, we still have um, a couple of embryos left. So we're 
at the moment of will we won't we for another but it would be hard to just leave the embryos there and not try yeah but you do get to a point where they get to an age where you're like oh this is nice now isn't it this is like everyone's everyone's getting a bit of sleep do you think they've settled down a little bit yeah totally and I think if we don't do it in the next year I think we're going to get past that point because we're at a really good point now um just recently really we're at a really good point with sleep and with everything and just kind of getting into the swing of things so I think if we don't do it in the next year we're not going to do it but we are both very much like any baby we see the two of us are like oh 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 so we'll see can I ask you a question about your both your is Audrey Irish? Yes, she's from Ballyfermot. I mean, you're Irish as well. Look, sorry. Yeah, yeah. But, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. How are your families about everything? I mean, this might be a stupid question to ask because, you know, it, we're living in 2021, but I, I might as well ask it anyway because we are. Well, it, it, no. it, is, it is Ireland, you know. Yeah, not a stupid question at all. And again, there's a long backstory there. Ba- like short, short answer to that is Audrey's side of the family have always been completely accepting of our relationship, our family. And, you know, there have been, you know, as with any family, there have been issues now and again, and maybe people not understanding how things work or whatever. But just from an acceptance point of view, her family have always completely, you know, respected us as a couple and as parents. My side of the family a little bit, you know, and her side is um, like from a Catholic background. My side of the family a little bit more complicated because I come from a born again Christian background. Ooh. Ooh, (laughs) ooh is right. Um, So I was raised in a household where I was basically told to be gay was on par with a murderer or the worst thing that you could think of. And I actually grew up not realizing that I, I wasn't straight. I always went out with boys and I don't really call myself anything. I just say I'm not straight. I would just refer to myself as whatever. I don't necessarily look at, you know, a person's what what they have. It's, you know, I fall in love with the person, not with their gender. And um, yeah, so I grew up going out with boys and it was when Audrey and I met, we kind of just developed this really strong friendship. I knew she wasn't straight, didn't bother me at all because obviously I was then, you know, I was surrounded by people in the arts and, you know, it wasn't a big deal at all. And it was about not even a year after we were friends that it literally one day just hit me like a bolt of lightning that I realized I was attracted to her. And I, I just, it kind of just knocked me sideways because I there there was a lot of you know feeling behind that like no this can't be happening I'm not allowed to do this this is wrong but I kind of just went with it and I told her and you know the rest is history we never looked back um but you know but early on it was really difficult you know I didn't tell my family for about six or seven months I didn't tell them even though I think they all knew um we actually ended up moving in together before I told them because I was still living at home and I was terrified that if I told my mom um I would be kicked out and I didn't want that to be you know I didn't want that to be the end of our story you know 
So I, I said, no, I'll move out and then I'll tell her. And yeah, it for a good few years, it was um, pretty fractured. Um, you know, I couldn't be in the same room with my mom without her crying and begging me to repent and begging me to to stop what I was doing and to turn away from my sin. And it, it was it was pretty awful for everybody involved, to be, to be honest. And it was only when I kind of started my own recovery journey with my eating disorder and my other mental health issues and going to a lot of therapy, I kind of realized that I actually had to just put boundaries in place and kind of break apart the codependency that me and my mom had because I was the youngest um, my dad also died when I was two so there was a lot of like deep-rooted kind of trauma within the family and I just needed to kind of step away from that and say do you know what this is my life that is your life I have respect and love for you and I hope that you have the same for me but I cannot allow you to continue hurting me in this way I am living a really good and happy life now and um, you need to have respect for that and that was a really hard thing to do but it made all the difference and there was actually a period when I just I kind of cut off contact for a while because that's what needed to happen and I think that gave her time to realize that unless she was respectful of me and my partner that we were not going to have a relationship and from that point on things changed a lot I wouldn't say they're perfect but things did change a lot and then when the kids came along, things changed even more. Like, I think kids just, you know, get people out of their own heads, you know, when people are so like, no, but the Bible says this, and the Bible says that. And it's like, well, no, if you just put like someone's grandchild in front of them, all of that kind of melts away sometimes, you know? So like, since the kids have come along, things have changed so much. And she is probably the one who helps us the most with the kids and our kids absolutely adore her and um, we actually would not have navigated the last year of the pandemic without her she has helped us so much um, she's our number one babysitter you know she's just the best and while we still don't agree on most things um yeah it's it's been quite the process I never would have thought that you know if you told me five or six years ago that she would be one of the closest people to our kids I wouldn't believe that mm. you know right it's nice nice to hear I mean it's funny that you're talking about uh the difficulties between your mother's religious beliefs and a same-sex um marriage you know and her daughter being in a same-sex relationship like what you're actually saying would I think resonate with a lot of Irish people who are in, uh, you know, uh, male female couples because of there's, I mean, I could, I, I, I would, I've recently sort of, I don't really, it's taken me a lot longer to get to that point where I've had to sort of say, you know, I don't, I'm not going to be talking to you as much as maybe you'd like me to be because I need to look after myself at the moment. I mean, I'm in my forties. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think a lot of people, if if we maybe we're only figuring it out now, but there's a lot of kind of codependency, trying to do the right thing by your parents' belief. You know, it's it's ingrained in us in Ireland. Yeah. That, that, that we're so attached to the church. We're so attached to 
those beliefs and uh, so attached almost like there's a, a weird controlling relationship between parents and children as well and I think a lot yeah. of people could learn from from I mean I, I went to therapy as well and I'm about two years seeing my therapist now and I best thing that I ever did you know uh, I love telling people about it it's great um I'd encourage anybody to try it and you know the, the things you learn about your relationship with your with your parents and and mm. it's it's interesting when you when you, when someone helps you step outside of it and you can look at it for what it is how strange it all is you know um yeah you know for you to be listening to someone who is your mother and you love so much but yet they're telling you what to do based on what they read in a book from a guy mm-hmm. who was around 2000 you know it's, there's so much weirdness to it yeah but, you know so if you break yeah. it all down if you can unravel it and and fair play to you it's great but I think a lot of people could learn from your story um and uh that's that's a nice kind of uh ending to that story how are you managing like what's the so so you you got in touch with me because I mean, there is a belief in Ireland now that, you know, it's 2021. Anybody who wants to get married can get married. You know, we're so uh, forward thinking. We're so right on. Everything's cool. You know, can, you know, can the, can the gays now just, you know, calm down for a while? Sit, sit, sit down, sit down now. You've got, you've got what you enough, wanted. <laughs> we've done enough for you guys. Um, what's, what are the issues you face now as a family? So when I was pregnant and we got married and we were in this like really happy bubble of, aren't we great? We're treated the same as any other married couple. We kind of had that bubble burst because we learned that summer when I was heavily pregnant that when our daughter was born, only I would be considered a legal parent. I would be put on her birth cert and then there would just be a blank space, nothing else on her birth cert. And we had no idea that we would be landed in this situation. We just thought that Ireland had marriage equality. So surely our marriage would be treated the same as any other marriage. Like if I was married to you, even if it wasn't, even if it wasn't your child, if I was married to you and you were a man, you would just automatically be the put down on the birth cert and you'd automatically be a parent. So we just assumed that our marriage, even though you know we had obviously used a donor, uh, to conceive our child, we just assumed we'd be treated the same as any other other marriage, and there would just be a presumption of parentage within that marriage. And we found out that that wasn't the case. So when Ava was born, I just remember registering her birth and it being one of the saddest days of our life, you know, being in there with in Lombard Street with all these these other parents with their new babies and just sitting there knowing that we were being treated differently and then being called into the room and the registrar said to me, okay, now which one of you is the mother? And we were like, well, we both are. And she's like, no, no, no. I mean, like, which one of you gave birth? And I said, I did. And she said, okay, Renee, I'm just going to be directing all my questions at you now. So, and then didn't look at Audrey the whole, you know, the rest of the time. And it was just an awful experience. And literally from that moment on, you know, we've, been in this situation where it's bizarre like we're married they're Audrey's biological children and I'm considered a single parent yet I'm married but I'd never understand in that situation why that woman in that office couldn't sort of 
treat you both like adults involved in a serious point in their life where they're about to register their child and say, look, I know this is weird and but let's you know let's talk this out just even the the yeah. humanity or a bit of cop on or a bit of sort of like as a person person to person say listen Audrey I know this is weird and I'm really sorry about this situation but just to sort of go I'm directing yeah. it like what the fuck like sorry and you're- to, to, yeah absolutely just to even acknowledge it would have made that process a little bit easier on us but I think a lot of people in those sorts of jobs have just kind of become desensitized to humanity and just it's just literally it's just a job it's just paper and they don't necessarily see the stories behind the people who are coming in um for whatever registration or whatever piece of paper they they need um and I think you know I'm, I'm not saying all all people in those jobs are like that but I think a lot of them have just become so used to it all and maybe they've had to close themselves off to becoming personally involved with the stories they see I don't know but it was just it was it was awful um and the second time was equally as bad I actually just went by myself the second time because we couldn't do that again so I just went by myself with Aria the second time so say for instance if I if my wife got pregnant and she'd slept with somebody else or whatever um we could just both turn up rock up and go listen i'm the dad she's the man she gave birth oh 100 no questions asked oh 100 yeah 100 and i'm sure that actually does happen quite you know and that does happen obviously that happens and also um not only that you'd have the option to do that but you would be you'd have to do that because you're married you even if you're not there you would automatically go, she couldn't ever put anyone else's name on that birth certificate because you're married. If you weren't married, she could just grab someone off the street and bring them in and say, yeah, he's the dad. Okay, sorry. And I should have used the more obvious example of if if it's, if it's they've had IVF <laughs> or if they've gotten a donor and they're married. Yeah, yeah. What's the yeah. scenario there? Yeah, if you're married to a man, um, the man is put on the birth certificate. End of. So the same- However, there... Yeah, okay, so yeah. that's kind of so things have changed a little bit in the last year. So last year, some legislation called the Children and Family Relationships Act was brought in in May of last year. And the reason for bringing this in was to try and give donor conceived children uh, both access to their genetic heritage and also a pathway to have legal connection with their parents who are raising them. Um, it applies to a lot of same-sex couples, but it also has implications for heterosexual people who are using donor eggs or donor sperm in Ireland. So say if today, if you and your wife went to a clinic and you, you, you had to use donor sperm or a donor egg or whatever, you would still be registered as parents when you go to register your child but there would be additional information on your child's birth certificate. And when your child is 18, they would now be able to access that information and there would be a donor registry. And all donors now in Ireland have to go on a registry and have to be open to a child contacting them if they wish when they turn 18. However, as a heterosexual couple, you could also say, hang on, I don't want my kid to know this, or you know, I don't want anyone to know that we've used donor whatever, and you could go to another country, get pregnant, and then just 
come back here and, you know, just it would be assumed that you're both the biological parents. So there is a workaround still. So if I go to Portugal or Barcelona or whatever, exactly. or me and my wife, we come back and we go in and register a child. No questions asked. You're the dad. Bish, exactly. bash, bosh. Yeah, okay. exactly. The only way to get around that would be to do like a DNA test at birth. What would you say to people now who would say to you, oh, for God's sake, sure, haven't you? Aren't you allowed to get married? Aren't you allowed? To, you know, you're ha- you have your children now. And will you stop whinging? <laughs> <laughs> and people I mean, do say that. Yeah, yeah people I'd do ima- say that. And people say, oh, it's only a piece of paper. Who cares? I'd, I'd and, imagine I'd imagine friends say it to you to try and make you feel better. And that's probably the worst thing yeah, you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess it's because of all. Well, first of all, it's just not right because it's not equal. OK. Mm. The fact that my children are treated differently to your children is not right. You know, they're just kids. They didn't, you know, they had no say in how they came into the world. They're just kids living their lives and they deserve to have all of the equal protections that should be provided by their parents and by the state. And at the moment, they don't have those. So at the moment, because I'm the only legal parent to our two children, if anything happened to me, they would be orphaned. They wouldn't necessarily stay with Audrey. They would be orphaned. If they need uh, consent for medical procedures, I have to do it. So if they need a blood transfusion, if they need, you know, even just for some of the simple it's going for their injections, I have to be there. I have to consent going to school, like enrolling them in, in play school and then enrolling them in school. I have to be the one to fill out the forms. I have to put Audrey as like a responsible adult who's allowed to collect them. She literally has no legal connection to her own kids and it's not right. And it's, they're the ones who are losing out because they don't have the security and the safety that you should have, you know, when you have two parents, you know, if something terrible were to happen with the two of us and we decided, you know, screw it. We don't want to do this anymore. We're going to break up she would have no financial, you know, responsibility to them. You know, there would be no way for me to say, well, you need to help with these kids. They're your kids too. Um, You know, in terms of like inheritance, if her family wants to leave our children some sort of inheritance, it would be taxed as though they're strangers. It wouldn't be a family member leaving money to them or property or anything. Um, There are just so many, like, citizenship and leaving leaving the country like if if Audrey wanted to travel not that anyone's traveling right now but you know traveling she needs permission from me to travel with them you know there are just so many and those are just the practical implications that's not even talking about like the emotional damage it's done to our families knowing that we're not the same and knowing that we're not treated equally and thankfully our kids are young enough now that they don't understand but what about when they get to an age when they understand, you know, and for the families who are still waiting to be recognized and their kids are like, you know, 10, 11, 12, and they absolutely know what's going on. And they're like, well, why, why are my friends, you know, different to me? Why am I treated differently? And it's like othering your kids. It's not, you know, it's just not right. If the couple, if it's a same sex male relationship and they're married and they've gotten they've had one of them donated sperm mm-hmm. uh to, to and to, used a surrogate yeah yeah what's the story i mean 
what's the story there? Is is one of them is even is is even one of them the father? Well, to be honest, not, I know that's gay, not your your, your yeah. fight, but yeah. Oh no, it a hundred percent is my fight. Okay. So, like the thing is, um, we actually we started a campaign, um, late twenty nineteen, and have been running this campaign called Equality for Children since then. And basically, it's an it's a campaign to fight for equality for all children of LGBT plus families in Ireland. So, like, I'm not going to stop until every family is is equal because equality is not equality unless it applies to everybody that's the way I see it. Like, even if we win our fight, you know, it's it's not good enough until every child is, is treated the same. So gay dads, to be honest, are in the worst position of all, because first of all, surrogacy is not in any way legislated for here yet. There, there have been plans to legislate for it for like over a decade, and they still haven't legislated for it. And if two men, say if I was a surrogate, or, you know, two men use a surrogate. Um, first of all, they can't do the treatment in Ireland. They'd have to go to the UK or somewhere else to actually do the treatment uh, because it's not allowed here. Um, their surrogate gets pregnant. The surrogate gives birth, gives the child to the dads. Um, the surrogate has no genetic connection because they would have used an egg donor as well as one of their sperm. Um, but the surrogate under Irish law would be the biological mother. And if she was married to a man, her husband would be the dad. <laughs> it's just completely crazy. Um, and there is no facility at the moment for that, that person, that surrogate to transfer legal parentage over to the dads. The only way for one of the dads, the one who's biological dad to get, some sort of legal recognition is to go through court and prove that they're the biological dad um and then that way they could establish legal parentage for one of them but it's just a completely bizarre situation to be in and it's 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 really precarious for gay dads because under irish constitution as you may know the mother is always seen as as you know the one with the most rights even over biological dads if the surrogate wanted to turn up and say, actually, those are my kids, I want to take them back, she could. And I don't think there's a case where that's ever happened yet. But it's something that, you know, gay dads have to think about. And um, it's, yeah, it's it's awful. And no child should be in a position where they're not kind of legally safe with their parents. And I, I know this isn't the point of, uh, of it, but... Um... What about adoption? And I'm just asking this question because I'm trying to think of things that people would be yeah. saying in their head as, as you're talking. And yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I would understand that's not the point. I mean, anyone can adopt anybody. Yeah. But what about adoption? Um, that is it. And it's a good question. And it's one that people always ask. But the short answer to that is that the, the adoption authority won't process adoptions for children born through assisted human reproduction. And we've tried that. And many people have tried that. They say that is not what we are for. You know, we are here, you know, to adopt children from a birth family to an adoptive family, not to adopt children within their own family, um, which kind of makes sense because, you know, an adoption traditionally would be, you know, you would be adopting someone from a different family into your family. Whereas if we were adopting, I would have to give up 
my legal, you know, mm. connection to them in order to readopt them, which doesn't really make any sense. Could, um, Aud- could Audrey adopt the girls? Uh, oh, but no. then, yeah, okay, no. yeah, right, okay. No, no, they won't. They won't do it. Um, even though it is legal for, for same-sex couples to adopt. So we could adopt your child if you wanted to, you know, but we can't adopt our own. That's the kind of easiest way to put that, um, so, which is... So <laughs> you're, you're kind of falling between two stools. There's no... Yeah. You're in the gray yeah. area where yeah. nobody has... Uh, has anybody ever yeah. exp- has anybody ever sat you down? Because obviously you've been looking into... You've been fighting this for a little while now. Has anybody ever sat you down and told you the reasons... Like there's practical reasons why this law exists or, or, yeah. or, or is it yeah. just some, yeah. some sort of like religion mixed up with fucking mumbo jumbo that has just ended up this way? Okay, so I suppose what happened was historically there was no law in place because historically only a man and a woman could ever be on a birth certificate and that's just the way it was. And that was before, you know, well, actually, no, gay families have always existed, just maybe not in the public eye. But, um, you know, like recently with IVF and with advances in technology, um, you know, we can have children in alternative ways. So things have changed and just the law never caught up with it. So I suppose with with marriage equality happening in 2015, they rushed through a piece of legislation you know that we were talking about and they just said look we have to have some sort of framework in place here and they didn't think they were going to be able to legislate for all families at once so they're like look let's just look at the most simple option here if you have two women who go to an Irish fertility clinic have an identifiable sperm donor a child is born in Ireland and that's just the most simple way of looking at it let's see if we can get that through So they did, they passed that in 2015, and then it took five years until they actually commenced it. And yes, we have sat in meetings with Simon Harris, with, you know, Regina Doherty, who was the Minister for Justice at the time. And we have had meetings with these people and, you know, their reasoning behind it, I suppose, it's not that they don't think that all children should be treated equally because it seems like they do, but it's just that, oh, it's very complicated. We have to put in place some sort of legislation and some sort of framework, and it's too much to do it all at once. So we're gonna start with this and we'll get to everything else. So, you know, we understand we need to legislate for surrogacy, but that's just such a huge thing that we're not gonna be able to do it now. We're just gonna have to wait. So we'll do this first and then everyone else is just gonna have to wait. And it was even put to me once, well, who do you think should be next? Who should be next in line? And I, I'm like, I can't answer that. I can't tell you that m- like children of, you know, my children are going to be more deserving than, you know, a child of gay dads. Like that just doesn't make sense to me. Um, so I guess there's not, it's not like, it's not like they've excluded people because they're bigots. <laughs> they've excluded people because they don't believe that they have the will in government to get it done all at once. Yeah, because it's all about legislating and getting people behind you within the within the doll and making it a priority and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so you're going to have to run for office, and that's the only way. <laughs> it's the only way you're going oh, to have to. I'd make, to... I'd make, I'd make a terrible politician. I get, I get too angry at people. 
<laughs> I think that's basically the job, just getting angry at people. Um, <laughs> you're going to have to become even more politicized, I'm afraid. Uh, <laughs> could you bring a, a case against the state? Um, is, have you looked at the law or you know, is there some sort of legal way that you can make, make the state recognize uh, Audrey yep. as, as the, sorry, go on. Yep. So basically, yes, we did. Um, we did. And we started that after Aria was born. Um, I can't talk too much about it, but I can tell you that we took a case against the state because reciprocal IVF was not going to be included in the, the CFRA, the Children and Family Relationships Act. And we decided to take a, take a case and it was ongoing, very lengthy process. Um, it's not a fun thing to go through um, court proceedings. It's just so much waiting around and just so much back and forth, so much paperwork. And eventually we got to the stage where the Children and Family Relationships Act was passed in May 2020. And in June of 2020, we got a, um, a letter from the Attorney General saying that they now, it was of their opinion that reciprocal IVF could be included in the Children and Family Relationships Act. Whereas before we had been told in no uncertain terms from the Department of Health, from the Department of Justice, we had been told it was not included, absolutely not included. And now following on from the court case, they said, actually, it is our opinion that it is included. So I suppose that was a, a win for us. Mm -hmm. And they said, you need to just apply through the district court now. So I suppose we're just in a bit of a tricky situation, which I'm you know, I can't really talk too much about, but because we had the proceedings in the high court, it's made the proceedings in the district court a little bit more complicated for us. But we do hope that soon our situation will be resolved, like our personal situation and that Audrey will be able to get the declaration of parentage for the two girls. We hope that that will happen at some point this year. However, even once that does happen, as I was saying to you about, you know, possibly wanting to have more kids if we then decided to use our embryos which are in Portugal they would not be included in this because we did the treatment outside of the country there has been an amnesty for you know children conceived outside of the state before 2020 but after 2020 that's not going to apply so going forwards anyone who wants to avail of this legislation who is doing reciprocal IVF has to do it in the state so it's all, I know, I can see your face looking very perplexed at this. It's very complicated and it just doesn't make sense. It kind of just seems like, you know, if, if, if two people decide to have a child, that they should be the parents regardless. Um, but it's, it's actually very complicated. Yeah, like I'm even trying to think of practical like ways that this could be, you know, damaging for children or how, you know, if the, you, you can understand some laws where you think, well, that's probably fair enough because you don't want anybody forced into a situation or, you know, absolutely, you, you know, but I can't actually think of how this could be used against somebody or uh, it doesn't seem to be, uh, it doesn't seem to be a situation where somebody could somehow, you know, 
manipulate the law to suit their own gains or something. I can't see why somebody would want to be known as the mother or father of a child. I, if there weren't, do you know what I mean? I just can't see any reasons. And and I think in this case, it just does come down to like a lot of these things is maybe the will within government to make this yeah. a priority. But yeah. if you're saying that you have to, you'd have to start again from scratch if you want to know the child and do it within Ireland. Do they now have licenses in Ireland? Are they allowed to? Yeah. So Sims was the first clinic in, I think they have like satellite clinics throughout the country, but like, that you know their main clinic is in Dublin and yes they offer it now so we could we could start from scratch and do it there but one we don't want to start from scratch because Audrey's now 40 um and our embryos are from when she's you know she was younger there's no there's no guarantee that it would work again and anyways you know we have embryos there that we we would want to use like surely we should be allowed to use them um and not be worried about what our parental status would be if we did. So the, so I mean, it's 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 just mad because the the embryos are Audrey. She's just like actually, she's more right. You just carried the child, so you know, it, it, you know. I'm just I'm being yeah. I'm being flippant yeah. about it, but yeah. um yeah. And the, and I presume the sperm donor will have no. There's you're not in. That's. They're no, not going to have um, any role. We, our sperm donors are anonymous because under both, under European law, um, all donors had to be anonymous. And that actually changed because the way that like the kind of fertility industry is moving is towards, um, you know, a process where children would have access to their genetic heritage, which is, I think, a good thing. But at the time, all donors were anonymous and that actually changed right after we had aria or right after we conceived aria Um, and that's now changed that all donors need to be identifiable so we just you know the time that we did it in it just we had to have anonymous donors can i ask you possibly a difficult question but we Mm -hmm. are having a difficult conversation i suppose and uh, you, you were willing to come on and talk to me about it do you worry about um the sperm donor and men, uh, mental and physical uh, well-being, a history of illnesses, any of that kind of stuff, does that ever enter your head? No, I mean, I don't, I don't worry about that at all. Although we always joke about it. Anytime one of the kids does anything shitty, we, we're just like, oh, the donor. Oh, it's the donor. <laughs> and anything good they do, they're like, that. We're, that's all us. <laughs> We joke about it, you know, but, you know, to be honest, like all donors are so heavily screened for any, any physical illnesses within their immediate family, within their extended family. You know, I I know people can lie on, you know, on questionnaires and stuff, but they are very heavily screened for both mental and physical illnesses. Like even if there was, you know, psoriasis or something within the family, I think that would kind of exclude you in a, in a lot of jurisdictions. Like they literally get people who are like in top, top physical and mental health. So I don't worry from that side of things. Like we do obviously think about, you know, in the future, how the kids will, you know, they know that they have donors and they, they know how they were conceived. We tell them in very simple terms about how we went to you know a hospital and 
Ava knows that she started out as an egg in mom's tummy and then then she grew in mama's tummy. She knows all of this. But of course, like when they reach a certain age, are they going to hate us because they're donor conceived? Or are they going to be thankful to be alive? Like, who knows? But that's just kind of something we're going to have to navigate when we get there. Look, they're going to hate you anyway, so you're just giving them a good reason. Exactly. You know, all, yeah. Exactly. They'll find another reason to hate you. So it's all fine. Exactly. So, <laughs> I don't want to be giving you other things to worry about. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so is there like what do, what's your wish for? Like, how, is there anything that the general public could do? Are you trying to? I mean, obviously, by talking to me and and your blog and your activities with talking to Simon Harris and people like that, you're trying to get this push through. Like, is, is, is there something you can say to the general public? Is it to have, is it going to be a case where you're going to have to actually get in there as a Senator, as a TD to, 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 to get this, this thing moving? Like, where do you go well, from here? I suppose. So that's why we formed the campaign equality for children is just really to try and raise awareness and to just have a kind of pointed effort to, you know, have political lobbying and, and raising awareness and just talking to people we need to and partnering with the organizations we need to partner with. So now we, you know, we're working with LGBT Ireland and Tenny and like all of these organizations and we, we actually have formed a an assisted human reproduction coalition with a lot of invested organizations. And, you know, so there's a lot of really good work being done behind the scenes and myself, I'm the CEO of Equality for Children. And what one of the main pieces of my work is just to try and raise awareness of this issue, because I feel if we don't have awareness of this issue, people aren't going to know about it and people aren't going to be angry about it. And they're not going to know how to help, you know, with marriage equality. It was always going to go the way we wanted it to because people knew about it. And the vast majority of Irish people believe in fairness. And I feel if Ireland knew that this was happening, people would be up in arms about it because people think that they voted for equality and that equality does not exist at the moment. And I feel like if there was a way of us kind of sending a message to every single person who voted yes and said, by the way, do you know that when you voted yes, we didn't actually get full equality. I feel that there would just be like an upsurge in support and it would put huge political pressure. You know, with Yes Equality, like there was such political clout behind, you know, those who were seen to be out in support of it. So if that same kind of pressure was applied now, I feel that the people who are in the positions of power would be much more incentivized to get this going mm. so what you need so really yeah go on sorry yeah yes yeah, so just so really raising raising awareness and sharing the message so you know if people can follow the campaign it's add equality for children they can follow me i never shut up talking about this i'm at renee von medin um they can go onto our website equalityforchildren.ie they can volunteer with us they can sign a petition they can there's a template for emailing your tds we have a GoFundMe to support us. We're a completely not-for-profit organization, all volunteer-led. Um, so there's lots of things that people can do. And the, the, the one big thing I want people to do is just talk about it. You know, have conversations with your family and friends and say, hey, did you know that this is happening? And the majority of people don't. 
Yeah, and yeah, so I suppose where we might come in handy is where we might, if there's a general election in the near future and someone comes to your door, you can ask them, what are you doing about X, Y, and Z? Or you can send it. Exactly. You can send an email to your local TD and ask them, are they thinking about this? And the more people that do that, they will become, it can become a thing. Um, listen, I mean, really nice to talk to you. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm better off now that I know all this <laughs> that, I, that I did, that I genuinely didn't know about. Um, and it's good to know that th- these things are out there and if, if, we, if we can help in any way and just to get make it get it out there and make a part of the conversation direct yeah. people direct people to your website and to your blog and to your yeah uh, instagram account and i'll i'll remind people of all these things in the intro as well was there anything else anything i missed that you, you wanted to mention no i don't think so i think that's a pretty pretty good overview of um of me and of how things are at the moment yeah Great. yeah thank you so much thank you so much for have me on the podcast. No problem. I only two people listen to this, by the way. I have no listeners. <laughs> it's just me and my wife. I know wife. it's so funny. It's so funny. I started. Um, I'm actually launching my own podcast next week about eating disorders, um, and I'm absolutely terrified um, because I'm like, who is going to listen to it? But yeah, probably only like you know. <laughs> one or two of my friends are going to listen to it so it's all good i think i think i think that's a good topic and i think you'll be well able to deliver uh you're, you're, you're a good talker so uh, i wouldn't worry about it just do it and let yeah as my therapist says throw the pebble into the water and let the ripples look after themselves yeah absolutely all, all you have to worry about is doing the thing um yeah thanks very much and best of luck to audrey and aria and ava and yourself and and uh, thank you so much for the future and you know, maybe in a couple of years, there might be development and we'll talk again. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Lovely to meet you. you and too. lovely to chat. Great. All right. Take Thank care. Have a good day. See you. Bye. Bye, bye Keith. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, there you go. That was Renee. Thank you very much to you. And thank you for telling me your story. And thanks for being so candid and so open and so available and all those things. And thanks for emailing me as well, because I would never have known. Um... I don't know why, like, I, it's interesting because I don't consume my news in the traditional ways anymore. I don't, I, w- I used to, obviously with the radio, I used to read all the newspapers every day, but I don't read newspapers anymore and I don't really listen to the radio anymore. Um, So I think it's important to get the this information out on podcasts and uh, to people that maybe like me that don't. Um, and maybe just now is a, is a good is is not a good time to be listening to the news. So um, yeah, it was it was great for me. I learned a lot. Um, learned about a lot about a subject I didn't know anything about, and yeah, I definitely uh, am very aware of it now, and will be looking at and looking into developments and staying abreast of developments and aware and all that kind of stuff and. Um, I think it would be a very interesting question to ask somebody if they came to your door looking for your vote around election time, just to see their reaction, because, uh, you know, just I'd say, you know, try, I'd say they have a job trying to get this onto people's agendas, you know. Um, so, you know, maybe if the all the OGs, all the uh, KWP podcasters, KWP, Keith Walsh podcasts, listeners, you know, maybe it's a question... Next time there's election, that's the question we'll ask. You know? Let's do it. Fight the power. 
it's not even fighting the power, it's just making people aware, getting it changed, bish bash bosh, get it done. Uh, yeah, thanks for now. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And um, yeah, uh, Renee just emailed me and explained who she was, and I said, "Sounds like a good guest. Let's go." So, if you feel like you uh, are, would be a good guest, if you've got something to say, story to tell, something you want to get across to the world, just email me, uh, KeithWalshPod at gmail dot com or KeithWalsh.Walsh at gmail dot com. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Um, also thanks for listening don't forget to subscribe don't forget to tell your friends don't forget to give us a rating just five stars I think the other ones are broken at the moment and if you want to just uh, donate a few quid to the podcast at the moment I'm trying to raise enough money to get uh, there is a very funny clip of myself and Mike talking about um, I think it's something like an, a human chasing an ample antelope down Um and I would love to get it made into a little cartoon just to see. Um, so if you want to donate some money and say this is for the cartoon, as some people have already, that would be fantastic. You know, whatever you have to spare. 100 grand, perfect. Uh, I think it only what's the cost. Cost could get it done for 500 euro for a 30 second cartoon clip. Be cool, though. be cool to get it done. I mean, obviously, I'm not asking people to give all the money, but just a contribution would be lovely. Uh, and thanks to anybody who has contributed so far. You're very good. Uh, that's it for me. i got to go and edit this and get it up and go downstairs and hang out with the family for a little while and then go to bed and then get up and do it all over again. I've got a, an, I have to record a podcast with a guy called Alan Cawley tomorrow. You might know him from the telly. Sports pundit, soccer pundit specifically. Ex-Leeds United footballer. Sligo Rovers, I think, as well. Um, definitely from Sligo and uh, we're going to talk I'm going to chat to him tomorrow and we'll get that up maybe next week uh, so yeah some very good podcasts on the way um, stuff to look forward to so yeah keep that's why you have to subscribe because then they just drop into your thing and then you don't have to go looking for them alright thanks very much um, take care of yourself and I hope you're well and don't forget to talk and don't forget to reach out and don't keep it all to yourself don't bottle it up because if you don't deal with your shit, your shit will deal with you at some stage. Good luck. Good night. Goodbye. I see you. Goodbye. Yes. Especially you. Goodbye. Actually, that seemed a bit creepy, didn't it? Okay. See you. Hey, I made a, a, a little um, podcast song up. Here, have a listen to this. Needs a bit of work, but it's good. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 